Hello and welcome. My name is Cassie Perlongo, and I'm a science communicator at the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute. And today I'm interviewing Dr. Ella Siema O'Brien. Ella is a research space scientist in the Space Science Division at the NASA Ames Research Center. So hello and welcome, Ella. Thanks for letting me interview you today. Hello, and thank you. I'm excited. This is fun. Yay. <laughs> so I thought we could first start out talking about your science journey. Um, were you always interested in science as you were growing up, or what activities made you aware or interested in science and engineering? So, yeah, I was always interested in science. Um, my grandfather was a math teacher, so um, science and math were part of my life from the beginning. Um, and I always, well, I, I really like science fiction. I read lots of science fiction books. I like science fiction movies. Um, I was a big Star Wars fan when I was a kid, and so that's part of, you know, exploring space and all of this. Um, and uh, Isaac Asimov, uh, the, the science fiction author, was uh, uh, is one of my favorite authors. I've read most of his books. Um, and uh, I wanted to be an astronaut from very oh. early on, uh, and I wanted to work at NASA uh, when I was probably in middle school. That was the beginning. It's like, yeah, one day I'll work at NASA, <laughs> and so now it's like, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's been it's been part of my life from the beginning. I, I always liked science, I, and it was easy for me growing up at school. Um, so that uh, I was encouraged to continue that way, and so I, I did that. Um, I so I followed a path that many people that uh, are doing science in France uh, follow, which is that when I was in in high school, they encouraged me to go into engineering school. So for that, you have to go and do preparation school. It's two years of intense work to get into engineering schools. And so then I did engineering school in uh, electrical engineering. And I chose that because uh, I, I liked the, I liked it when I was in preparation school and it was a way, I was trying to find a way to get into uh, aerospace without doing mechanical engineering because I realized early on that I was really bad at mechanical engineering and I was like well electrical engineering should be you know useful also for space aerospace so maybe I can do this and I like it so <laughs> I went that way <laughs> so that's but it was always within mind to work in an aerospace related field um, and uh, at the end of my engineering school, I had to do an, an internship and I found an internship in Austin, Texas. And I, I uh, worked there for six months and I discovered uh, fundamental research uh, in physics and I loved it. And so that's when I started uh, going in that direction. And I started a, a PhD program where I was doing plasma physics. So I was I was working on a propulsion system for the crewed missions to Mars. So I was working with NASA, uh, with Johnson Space Center, and it was a lot of fun and I worked for five years on that. And it, it was exciting to be part of a NASA project, be part of an uh, yeah exploration of space. Um, but after five years, I realized that what I was doing was building something for someone else to go. And I wanted to go. And um, in 2008, um, Europe opened the astronaut program, so I applied, uh, and I passed like three steps. We were 9,000 at the beginning. We were uh, 
I think 92 when I didn't pass the next selection. So um, it was I was happy to have gone that far. I, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so so hang on a second. Yes. You're saying that you applied to the European Space Agency as an astronaut to to become an astronaut. Yes. That's so cool. So <laughs> that was when you were living in France. So that was at the end of my PhD. Yeah, I'm trying to go fast through the, the history. No, but, I love that. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So I, I did my PhD in Austin, Texas, um, and I graduated in 2007. And then um, and then I went back to France because my husband and I had decided to move back to France um, to have a family there, be close to my family. Um, we wanted the kids to have French and and American culture, and we thought it would be easier to have the the American culture in France because it's in the movies and the music and everything, uh, than having the French culture in the U.S. Uh, so we had decided to move to France and live in France. Uh, and so yeah, in 2008, just after graduating, I applied for the the astronaut program, and uh, and I passed yeah two two selections. It was fun. We, oh, I did wow. all the psychotechnical tests and psychological tests and things like that, or a full day of uh, testing. It was, it was fun. It was, it was yeah. a good experience. It must have been a really intense, actually, experience. And with your background and everything, I, I'm not surprised that you went far in it. But uh, uh, fortunately, it sounds like you weren't selected. But fortunately for us at AIMS, that we do have <laughs> as part of your part of our workforce which is great um but gosh what how how did that happen when you went through the selection process and you decided okay is that did you decide then that you weren't going to pursue being an astronaut at this point and how did you end up coming back to California then and working for NASA so, so um when I went back to France I didn't have a postdoc I didn't have a job yet but I uh, I looked for a postdoc so the work that you do after you graduate from your PhD um, that would allow me to explore and not just enable the exploration for someone else. So I went from building a propulsion system to doing planetary science. So I was looking for projects that would use my knowledge in plasma physics, but applied to planetary science project. And that's when I discovered Titan. And mm. so Titan is the largest moon of Saturn. It has a really dense atmosphere. And then there's this crazy complex chemistry that is occurring in the atmosphere. Um, and there are uh, several experimental setups in the world that are trying to simulate that chemistry between nitrogen and methane, the two main constituents of the atmosphere. Um, and so there are different ways to simulate this. And one way is to use a plasma discharge, an electric discharge, to break the molecules, make them interact with each other and look at that chemistry. And so... There's a lab in Paris uh, at the Latmos um, that is doing just that. And uh, mm -hmm. I contacted them and they had funding for postdoc and they hired me. And so I started mm -hmm. working on Titan's atmospheric chemistry uh, and doing planetary science. So that's how I got into that field. And so I stayed there wow. for two years. But um, my husband was doing a postdoc in Grenoble in the Alps and I was doing a postdoc in Paris for three years, for two and a half years. Uh, and so we would see each other only on the, week, on the weekends and we were trying to find positions that were in the same city, but we couldn't. And so after yeah, two and a half, three years, we decided that we were going to go back to the US. So I started looking uh, and that's when I, I um, talked with Farid Salama, who has a laboratory 
at NASA Ames, where he does um, uh, simulation of uh, different astrophysical environments, including uh, Titan's atmospheric chemistry. And so we worked together and um, we um, thought of how to use my skills and my knowledge in the experimental setup that he had. And then uh, he encouraged me to write a proposal for the NASA postdoctoral program, which I did. And I got it. And then I could I, I moved to California and my husband and I and our seven month old son at that time oh, wow. <laughs> moved yeah. to California um, to to start the postdoc with Farid Salama in the cosmic facility. So that's how it started. And that was oh in 2011. Gosh. Wow. And so I've been at Ames for almost 10 years now and it's been fantastic. Uh, so I was there as a postdoc initially and then I uh, wrote proposals with Farid uh, to get additional funding to be able to continue and expand the research that I was doing with the cosmic facility. Uh, and then also I've, I've developed a new a new facility now. Uh, but it was I was what we call soft money at the beginning, mm -hmm. getting grant money uh, from NASA to continue the research and do new projects with the cosmic facility. And then in 2018, I was hired as a civil servant at NASA. So this is how I got there. <laughs> but it's, it's been what? really exciting. Yeah. What's well, a great story, Ella. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is an incredible. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think it's so important for people to understand that sometimes going through even I'm a humanities major and sometimes we don't have the most direct path. And it's really nice to hear with uh, STEM people that sometimes the path can you know, waver. It can go different directions and that's OK. Everyone's journey has a different story to it. And it's so important. And I'm that's just wonderful to hear and congratulations. I know, I'm so glad that you started talking about the laboratory. That was something that um, I wanted to talk next about. The uh, You are a member of this, the, the Astrophysics and Astrochemistry Laboratory at NASA Ames. Um, maybe if we could back up a little bit and could you just explain a little bit about the lab if anyone hasn't heard of it? Um, and you've talked about kind of some stuff that you are working on currently, but what experiments are you working on right now? that's part of the lab? So um, I am working on uh, two different aspects in the lab uh, on the cosmic facility. But before I go into what I do, um, so the astrophysics and astrochemistry laboratory is a, is a large group of several laboratories at Ames. Um, and, then, and I just wanted to give a, a little bit of background on, on that group because um, it's, uh, so it was founded by Lou Alamandola in the 80s, um, late 70s, even maybe. Um, and so uh, it's it was um, initially um, a laboratory astrophysics and astrochemistry that group that uh, was working um, with the uh, Kuiper uh, Observatory, the Airborne Observatory. So the ancestor of Sophia, right? It mm -hmm. had a telescope in uh, in a plane, and and they were doing um, infrared observations and then they were seeing bands in uh, the interstellar medium in, in 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 the different objects that they were they were looking at and they didn't know what they were and so then they were talking with the people in the laboratory astrophysics and astrochemistry group who were running experiments trying to look for uh, specific molecules and look at how they absorb light um, or emit light um, mm -hmm. and uh, 
and then looking at these spectra and comparing them to observations. And so they were able to uh, interpret observations, but also looking at specific molecules in cold environments that were representative of the astrophysical environment that Kuiper was looking at, they were able to say, oh, look, there's this molecule that is absorbing at that wavelength or that in that region of the spectrum that we're looking at, maybe we should look for that molecule. And so there was this interaction between observers and laboratory uh, researchers to really better understand what they were looking at and what they were looking for. And so this mm -hmm. synergy between observers and uh, laboratory researchers has been there at Ames for a long time. Mm -hmm. there, there, the laboratory astrophysics and astrochemistry also includes theoretical calculations. And so there is a group of theorit theoreticians, um, quantum uh, chemists that also allow to use theory to see what these molecules could look like um, uh, or how they absorb light and how they emit light and how we could maybe observe them with different observatories. So laboratory astrophysics and astrochemistry is the experimental research and the theoretical research that support um, the observations. So that's what we have at Ames. Um, and so there are different labs now that have evolved with the years and that cover very broad uh, wavelength range and, and temperature range so that we can have these laboratory data and, and, and theoretical data for a lot of different applications in uh, astrophysics and in planetary science and in exoplanet research also. So this is what I'm part of. Um, and what I'm doing right now is I'm studying, I'm still studying Titan's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, I am looking at, uh, initially I looked at the gas phase chemistry. So I, I used an instrument that allowed me to look at the products of the chemistry, the different molecules that we make in the gas phase. Um, in recent years, I've also developed a, another aspect of the research with the cosmic instrument, cosmic facility, which is to look at the particles, the solid particles that we produce, because we are we're simulating that chemistry and it makes large molecules and then it, it makes solid particles like dust that are analogs of the aerosols that are in Titan's atmosphere. Because in Titan's atmosphere, you have this very complex chemistry. You produce these solid particles that creates, create a haze in Titan's atmosphere. When you look at pictures of Titan, it looks like this big orange ball. And that's mm -hmm. because of the like haze. foggy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so we are making analogs of these dust particles and then we can collect them and then we can look at uh, their shape, uh, how they absorb light, what they're made of, so that we can better understand what's going on in Titan's atmosphere. And the reason why we're so interested in, in looking at that chemistry is because Titan um, is the only object in the solar system that has a dense atmosphere made of nitrogen like Earth. Oh, and so... The chemistry that is occurring in that atmosphere could give us clues to, to what happened on Earth before life appeared. Because the production of these more complex molecules, some of them might be precursors of prebiotic molecules. And so wow. then understanding that chemistry is really important because it might help us understand what happened on our world. And that resulted in the, in the, in the creation, in the, in the formation of life. Yeah. That's really important. And that's um, the fact that you guys can recreate this stuff within the laboratory is massively impressive, to be honest. And it's 
it's very exciting because there's so much exciting stuff going on science-wise going on at NASA that the fact that we're able to achieve something like this now is, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, do you guys get to work on other missions across the agency or are you primarily bound to work on things within NASA Ames currently? You mean linked with missions that are not based at Ames? So yes. uh, yeah. the, the research on Titan that I'm doing is helping us interpret data from Cassini, which was not a, a Ames mission, right? So it helps interpret um, data from different missions uh, mm -hmm. that are not necessarily based at Ames. So at Ames, you have Sophia, you, we had Kepler. We, there are several missions that have been based from Ames, but there are other missions that are based from different centers that are different centers operated at different centers like Goddard and JPL. And, um, so uh, we are producing laboratory data that can be used to analyze data from a lot of different missions. Um, so, so this example that I gave you is, is for Titan, but we also uh, like the initial uh, plan with the cosmic facility or the the initial applications of the cosmic facilities facility were um, for interstellar medium. So it was to interpret data from the Hubble telescope from we're, we're now expanding that that um, facility to go into the infrared to be able to help with the interpretation of the JWST um, data that will come soon. So there are a lot of different missions that uh, we can support with the lab data that we're generating. There, the, the other labs in the Laboratory Astrophysics and Astrochemistry group uh, are producing data that will be used for um, preparing future missions like Europa Clipper or that helped with the Mars 2020 um, mission. Um, there is also in the Laboratory Astrophysics and Astrochemistry group, people that are working with return missions like OSIRIS-REx. Scott Sanford is, is part of that, that team and he's part of the Laboratory Astrophysics and Astrochemistry group. So we're involved in a lot of different, um, we're supporting a lot of different missions and some of us are involved in some missions. Um, and, um, and so it's a very collaborative structure, it sounds like, and it's a very supportive sort of structure that you are you are one you are one area, but you are definitely working across multiple multiple things, it sounds like. Yeah. And yeah. that the, the really cool thing about the laboratory astrophysics and astrochemistry group at Ames is the synergy between all these different uh, researchers that have different skills and different facilities that provide data for different applications. And there's this synergy between experimentalists, theoreticians that are doing the quantum chemistry calculations, um, and then the observers, the astronomers that need the data. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it always goes back and forth. It's like a, a, a loop. You know, you get new observational data that you need to interpret. You provide uh, data that will be either directly comparable to the observational data or be used as input parameters in models that are used to interpret the data. Uh, mm. and, and then you it's a feedback loop where once you have one one piece of the puzzle, you put it and then you get a new mystery to solve. And so. I love that. And I love how you explain that, because that as an outsider looking in, that seems like how the best science can be conducted in such a way because you're informing that, but you need the different sort of mind skill set of people thinking experimental stuff to push those sort of objectives. But then you need to also base it in reality and actually 
create some of those experiments and see what the data informs some of these experimental things. So that's, I like how you explain that as a feedback loop. That's a really, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what would, you, I like how you also talked about your, your work with, uh, with Titan. Um, and that certainly now answers the question, what makes Titan such an appealing science target? I yeah. think that's fascinating because we could actually answer a lot of questions here on earth as we study Titan. Um, what are a couple of other maybe key points that you would want to um, uh, have the public take away with your particular science work? Um, you know, why you do what you do, what, what drives you, what gets you up in the morning? You said that you really enjoy science and you've always enjoyed sort of the, the, the aspects of science, but what is it that really gets you going, why you love doing what you do? Haha. <laughs> um, well, no so pressure, I, uh, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes. Okay. So, um, well, that's, that's the thing is that for me, and, and that's one of the frustrating things also sometimes is that to me, what I'm doing is for science is to understand, mm -hmm. right? To, to better understand why we observe these things on Titan? What does it mean? How can it happen in these environments where, like on Titan, the temperature is super cold? It's 180 Kelvin to 70 Kelvin, which is what would it be in, uh, in Fahrenheit? I have no clue. In Celsius, it would be like it's below minus 100, right? Celsius. It's it's really cold temperature. Um, the, the, on Titan, you have lakes, but they're not lakes of water because the temperature is so cold that it's just, it would just be ice. It's lakes of methane and ethane. It rains methane on Titan. And it's like it's a completely different world, but like it's really understanding why. And then and it with Titan, it's really interesting because you have this link with Earth and trying to understand what is the link with how life appeared on Earth. Um, but really, and when I'm in the lab and I'm, and I'm getting exciting, excited about, you know, having made a new particle and trying to find out how, what it's made of, it's, it's just a, the, yeah, solving a mystery. I think that's mm. the, the kid vision of, oh, there's this, there's a puzzle and I'm missing a piece. And if I do this and that, I might be able to find that piece and, and see the big picture, mm. see what, what, this all represents or I mean and um and as an experimentalist I I love it's like it's like playing with toys right and like when sometimes I'm I'm talking about things and I say oh yeah I'm just going to go and play in the lab <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky I, I have a job where I want to go to work and I want to I want to fix things and I want to uh build things um it's there's a, a manual aspect of it when you work in a lab and try to develop new instruments and new uh, new research projects. So and what what to me and in, in recent years, what has been really fun and uh, motivating is the fact that especially for the type of work that I do with laboratory astrophysics and, and planetary uh, science applications, uh, it's a very interdisciplinary uh, research. You need to have the experimentalists and the modelers and the observers working together to get that big picture. Because you can do things in the lab and get your data and then give them to someone else to, to do something with. But if you build a, a team 
that has all these different aspects, then you can start answer some of the questions, right? So, for example, I have this project that uh, is very interdisciplinary, where we're looking at the formation of benzene clouds on Titan. So on Titan, you have yeah clouds, ice clouds of benzene, um, and I'm working with a modeler that is looking at the 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 way cloud form in Titan's atmosphere. I'm working with an observer that is using Cassini data to really observe these clouds. And then I'm we're a team of experimentalists here at Ames using both the uh, Earth science expertise and planetary science expertise, because we're using two different experimental setups. And one of them was developed to study the formation of clouds on Earth. And it's like, well, you have that knowledge for clouds on Earth. Can we use that knowledge to understand what's going on on Titan where clouds form also? Okay, it's not water, it's benzene, but can we use that knowledge? And so I've, I've been developing projects that take into account all these different aspects and that really use the knowledge of everybody on, in different, different fields to try and get the answer and get the big picture. Try not to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of things in Earth science that have been done looking at Earth that we can now use for planetary science. Why try to reinvent the thing? If it's a world, if it has an atmosphere, there are some points, some, some aspects that are common to what's going on on Earth. And so then we can use them. And so that's been really exciting to me to really try and make a link between all of these different fields to get the big picture. That's uh, that's beautiful. It's a wonderful way to actually describe both of it. In fact, some one thing that I just learned relatively recent is that where we sit, you know, over at NASA Ames, it used to be, you know, the Earth and space science that there was a very much a collaborative community before before things became a bit more specialized and people started going off into their own areas. It used to be a little bit more collaborative. So maybe it is going back to that collaborative sort of nature. Um, in so. fact, I hope so, too. Yeah. In fact, that's sort of my last question for you. Um, I because we're running out of time and I just wanted to ask, you know, what sort of advice would you want to give people who are looking to study maybe planetary science or, or astrophysics? Um, you've already spoken about this collaborative and interdisciplinary um, nature being open to it, it sounds like is very important if you're going to go into um, a science yeah. field. But what sort of advice would you like to tell people who are considering, maybe this is something I'm interested in, I want to learn more. Um, what things are, uh, would you like to pass on, I guess, to the next generation? So to go with what I was um, talking about earlier, uh, about my path, that's something that I've been telling people that are, you know, choosing a path for their PhD or or trying to figure out where, which direction they want to go. Uh, there is no there, there's not one way to get to where you want to go. Um, and you can change your mind and you can realize that you're going in one direction and then suddenly you see something that is not on that path, but that you're interested in and it shouldn't keep you from looking at it. Um, and to me, the fact that I came from a completely different background has been helpful because then you look at things with a different perspective. Um, and and that, I think, is also the reason why I'm so excited about the interdisciplinary 
uh, aspect of things and why I try to get people from different fields together in one team to work on a project. Because when you look at things, at one thing, from different perspectives, you you see more, you you see new ways to address a problem. Um, and so I would say, yes, just be open to change um, and talk to people that don't necessarily have the same background as you uh, to try and brainstorm ideas and and come up with with new ways to uh, look at a problem. Uh, to me, that's been very helpful and fascinating and interesting and motivating to do it that way. Mm. So in science, I think more and more interdisciplinarity is going to be the key. Yeah. So perfect. I think interdisciplinary is is definitely the key and I think it's important to bring in a different perspective. So well said. Thank you very much. Well, thank you Ella. That was a wonderful introduction to the exciting work that you do and personally I can't wait to hear and read more about the research that you're conducting because it's pretty exciting and it's very specialized and yeah, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you. I had fun. <laughs>